We've been going through a series of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. It's a semi-chronological view. Semi-chronological because we're not quite exactly sure how the events happen, but um, we're trying to get to know him better. There is a saying that if everyone else is running around like their hair is on fire and you're not, you don't know the seriousness of the situation. But in Jesus' time, and when Jesus is with us, there's a whole different calming effect. And the title of today's sermon is, He Calms the Wind, the Waves, and Men. And in this times of our own culture and situation where it seems like there is a lot of chaos and hecticness and unsurety, this particular passage, I think, is apropos. So it's found in Mark chapter 4, starting with verse 35. It says, On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat. And just as he, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And there came, arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boats so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now first notice Jesus' view. One, we understand he's probably very tired. He's been ministering, he's been teaching. He also knows that he's in the hand of the Father. And no matter where he may be or what the circumstances may be, he can rest still because he's in the hand of the Father. But his disciples, not so much. And it's interesting, while the wind is blowing fiercely and the waves are coming so that the boat may be swamped, they ask a curious question that in essence doesn't really solve the problem. Their question is, don't you care we're perishing? Now it's fortunate for them that I'm not Jesus. Because if they'd have woke me, I would have said, yes, I care, and you're not going to perish, now let me go back to sleep. But Jesus doesn't do that. But they ask, do you care? But they should be with him long enough to know that they've seen him have compassion on a widow whose only son died and he raised him from the dead. He, they saw his compassion when he healed people from various illnesses and diseases and that he healed people with all sorts of disabilities, that he taught with authority, that he cast out demons. He did all of these things and their question of him is, don't you care? That should be a given. There was a pastor who gave advice to a, a younger pastor during a tragedy that happened in the young pastor's life. And it was simply this. 
Do not trade what you know about God for what you don't know about Him. And here they were almost trading. They knew that Jesus cared. They've seen Him with sinners. They've seen Him with all sorts of people. He cared, and His relationship with them ought to have guaranteed that they know He cared for them. So you would think the question would be, when are you going to do something about it? They don't ask that question. So, teacher, don't, do you not care that we are perishing? And again, Jesus could have said, well, I don't know about you. I'm going to walk on water and go across. But with Jesus, they should be confident. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Now I want you to picture this. This wasn't all of a sudden the wind started dying down. The wind ceased. And one of the miracles that's kind of implicit here, it wasn't that the waves kind of, it's like if you see an earthquake and you pull and it goes back and, and it takes a while to start. When Jesus commands it to be calm, the seas become calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? Now, number one, they were with Jesus, so they should have been afraid. Number two, he says that they had no faith or little faith. Well, some of us say, well, they should have had faith because they were with Jesus. And being with Jesus should encourage and ensure them that they'll be okay. But there's a statement here. That should have been why they needed not to fear. Because before they ever took out on the boat, Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. Jesus didn't say, let's go out into the sea. Jesus didn't say, well, we'll go out in the water and see what happens. He said, we will go over to the other side. When Jesus speaks, We are to believe and have faith. When he said we'll go to the other side, it doesn't matter where there was wind. It doesn't matter where there was rain. It doesn't matter where there was, the ship was swamping. Because Jesus already said, not we're going out to the middle of the water, we're going to the other side. Jesus tells us, he will never leave us or forsake us. He tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not persecution, not peril, and they were in peril. Not nakedness, not sword. Not even ourselves can separate us from the love of God. He speaks. We respond in belief. So the response was, We have now have faith. No. They became very much afraid. They were afraid of what was happening. Now they're afraid of who they're with. 
And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? He's the same one who spoke and taught and preached with authority. He was the one who healed. He was the one who forgave sins. He was the one who raised the dead. All of these should have shown them exactly who he was. He even changed water into wine. I could see Jesus thinking as he will later say, have I been with you so long that you don't know who I am? But all too often as I criticize these men who are in this boat, three fingers point back at me. It doesn't matter how many times Jesus has calmed the chaos in my life. There are times I wonder if he cares, if he notices. Does he have the authority to power? Will he even do it? Ye of little faith. We need not be in a boat in the middle of the sea, but our lives oftentimes are forced with opposition, like wind howling in our faces, like the storm casting us about. And in those uncertain circumstances, we need to not have concern about the circumstances, but to know who holds us in His hand. So the one that we worship, yes, can change water into wine. Yes, can heal people of their diseases. Yes, can heal from disabilities. Yes, can even raise the dead. And yes, can handle any circumstance you find yourself in. So who is this? that even the wind and the sea obey. He's called Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. All man, all God. And just as he said in chapter 5, verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea. Just as Jesus had said, even with all the difficulties, even with the unbelief into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tomb with an unclean spirit met him. Now in Matthew, it says that there are two men who are in this condition. Mark and Luke talk about one man. The scriptures aren't inconsistent. If you have two, you have one. Mark and Luke are going to concentrate on the one man. So they only talk about the one man. But there were two who were in this condition. And so when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. Which meant not only being demon-possessed, he was unclean because you couldn't be around dead bodies. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, 
because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and gnashing himself with stones. What a miserable condition. To be like this, no one attempting to help him, only trying to restrain him. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now isn't it interesting? The demons know exactly who he is. The disciples who he's been going around with are having trouble. He falls down and worships. They're going, what kind of guy is this? So what business do we have together, Jesus? And now you're going to hear this same word repeated over and over. Implore. Begging. Beseeching. It's kind of what the disciples did when the wind and the storm was prevailing. They'd use the word, but they were concerned. And now it's this demon. Implore you by God. Do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now there may not be exactly this number, but a Roman legion was made up of approximately 6,000 men. So this guy is in a world of hurt. He doesn't just have a demon or two demons or three demons. He has untold number of demons. Now, when I was going to college, I took a, a, a New Testament course from a priest. And we read this passage in class. And he goes, I don't believe in demons. I believe in the demons of alcoholism and, and drug addiction and all these other addictions. And I go, I don't see him giving him any money. I don't see him saying... Stop drinking. I see him casting out demons. Or you see, when Jesus came, there was a spiritual battle happening. Jesus came to tell about God's kingdom, and Satan was there to try to defeat it. That's what all the parables about the wheat and the tares and all of this going on that there is the enemy. So there is a spiritual battle. And even though we may or may not recognize demons today, there are still spiritual battles happening. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Basically, what this demon's concern was, is they didn't know want to go to the pit before their time. It's interesting, they know exactly their destination. They're just trying to delay it as much as possible. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the, the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Again, let's go from somebody into some bodies. It doesn't have to be human. So that we don't have to go to the pit. 
And Jesus gave them permission. You see, even demons obey. The sea obeys. The wind obeys. Spiritual wickedness obeys. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down in the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Now, most times, if you were to hear this passage, and, and when I've heard pastors preach, they emphasize this passage. I'm not going to. I'm going to simply say this, as they will say in a longer portion of the sermon. Even pigs have better sense than people do to not put up with demon possession. But who I want to concentrate on is the town and city folk. Verse 14, the herdsmen ran away and reported it into the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Interesting. No one could control him. No one could even bind him. But Jesus is able to not only calm him, but put him in his right mind. You would think that let's have a revival. Let's praise God. Let's glorify him. God has done a wonderful thing. No, they became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him, beg him, beseech him to leave their region. That's almost incomprehensible to me. Here you just saw the act of God. A man who no one could control, sitting peacefully, calm, in his right mind. And you would think their answer would be, we want to know more. Come dwell with us. I know you probably live in Capernaum. That's okay. Make your home ours now. We want you here. We want the blessings. We want the power. No, we beg you to leave. And Jesus complied. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had demon had been demon possessed was imploring him, begging him, beseeching him that he might accompany him. See, this man truly is in his right mind. He wants to be with Jesus because Jesus was the only one Give him that peace and that calmness that the demons had taken away. The town may reject. The region may reject. But this man said, Jesus, I want to be with you. And he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people 
and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. I want to comment on this. Jesus is spending about three and a half years teaching and performing various miracles with his disciples. He tells this man, simply, go and tell what great things the Lord has done for you. We should pick up on that. You see, what the Lord wants us to do is to tell people what great things he has done for us. That doesn't require going to seminary. Seminary is a great thing. I've been. I didn't take a preaching class. Too bad for you. Um, consequently, I don't do three points and a poem. I went to another denomination service one time, and he had four points and two poems. So apparently their seminary is different than ours. But he didn't teach this man for three and a half years. He didn't expect him to be a theological PhD. He said, tell them what great things God has done for you. He didn't say, well, go read the four spiritual laws and get them memorized or get a pamphlet and figure it out. He says, tell people what great things God has done for you. Therefore, us should tell people what great things God has done for us. Now let's say, and this is a great blessing, you were raised in a Christian home. And you came to the knowledge of Jesus as your Lord at a tender age. And you never did any big, terrible sins and all that stuff. And you just simply walked with the Lord. Then tell people what God did for you. How, because of the grace of God, He gave you this life. Or maybe those things happened, but there was a period of time where you walked away from God. But when you came back, you found that God loved you just as much as before you left. Tell the people about that. Maybe you're the biggest sinner this world has ever known. Now, I will ask you this. When you give that testimony, don't make it sound like you regret leaving that life. And Because I've heard you know, people, and they'll be talking about all the terrible, shameful things they've done. And it's almost like, you want to go back? I mean... It, it seems like you had more fun then. And then you kind of spend like 30 seconds about what great things God has done for you. So if you had that kind of life and God saved you, He didn't say, tell people how evil your life was. Tell them how great things have God's done for you. Doesn't take seminary. Doesn't take a lot of Bible study. And I'm not, I'm not. Lord knows I want you to go Bible study. Lord knows I want you to read your scriptures. Lord knows I want you to know the Word of God so you can trust Him more. And that's what He was doing with the twelve. He was teaching them and showing them by example and word and deed who He was. Now, unfortunately, they didn't get it until they saw the resurrection. But that's okay. This guy, we don't know whether he did or didn't see the resurrection. But we do know, because I'm going to finish it, and he went 
away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. That means ten cities. What great things Jesus had done for him. He did what Jesus told him to do. He didn't say, well, let me go to the synagogue and read up. He did what Jesus told him to do, to tell what great things God had done for him. And notice their response. And everyone was amazed. Now, you can't control your audience. Some people may become amazed. Some people may, oh well. And some people may say, you know, why don't you just leave? And unfortunately, that's what happens to a lot of us when we become believers, we become disciples. We don't forsake our friends, our friends forsake us. Because they're uncomfortable with us talking about how wonderful Jesus is. But they heard about this guy who no one could chain him and bind him. And Jesus set him free. And Jesus has set you and me free from sin and shame and all of those things. And we need to proclaim it. So, I have two points. The first point. When life has shown chaos in your life. And many of you have felt that. And unfortunately, I'm here to tell you, if you haven't, you will. And if you have, it'll happen again. Because that's the nature of being human. But you can believe Jesus when he says things. Don't assume. Find what he says and believe it. And the second point, don't be bashful. And don't think you have to wait until you know enough to tell what the great things God has done for you. Because we serve a great God. Our God is greater than anything that this world can put against us. Our God is greater than any circumstance, any person, any nation, any opposition. Our God is so great. He doesn't just care about the church. He cares about you. And know that no matter what happens in life. And when you get to the other side, tell people how great our God is. Because he got me in the middle of a storm where my boat was sinking. And I got to the other side. Praise his name. And all God's people said,